all of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that our journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson. My good friend Greg Fairn and I are also on this journey of becoming. We are both dedicated to inviting you into our journeys and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey that we all find ourselves on. We want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of our biggest allies. We have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And we believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. All right. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Patterson. Homeboy Greg is still doing the sabbatical thing. And yeah. so he's away, but Trip's hanging out. So, But, but uh, Greg and I are going to smoke cigars on Friday. Oh. Because we're neighbors, you know. Yeah. Hashtag jealous cool over here. Greensboro do. <laughs> Well, I'm je- I did get to see Greg recently, though, Trip. when I was just I in North Carolina. It was pretty cool. So do I want to go? I have four full tilt beers here. Also rocking the hat. I want you to know also this hat actually hat. fits my head. Um, I oh, have nice. a lot of hats. I got about three that fit my head. And the other two, I paid a lot of money for to get fitted hats that are very large. <laughs> but I got I got two little holes to hold my head in. And um, all right, so I got... I got two the hoppies, two of the loggers. Where where should I go first here tonight? So when you said two of the loggers, I'm assuming the pale lager and what Royale with cheese? Royale with cheese. Solid beer. And then what do you have? Uh hops the two cat hops. and hops to cat grapefruit. Yeah. Oof. All right. Well, so do you like to start heavy and then go light or start light and go heavy? What's your preferred well, well, method? I'm gonna crush a lager, then I'll drink a hoppy one. Let's do that. All right, let's do the uh, pale lager because that beer is actually a mistake. It's uh, a mistake. Tell me about this mistake. So we were uh, brewing. It was supposed to be a Pilsner for a foundation that I'm not going to name because I don't want to embarrass them. However, I can say that this particular person the foundation is for uh, was in a film called Back to the Future. And... um we were doing a, a beer for their foundation and basically screwed it up. How it got screwed it, up. It's maltier than your average lager. But correct. So got... what happened was it, we brewed, it was literally brewed as a Pilsner. However, in our auger system from our previous brew, which happened to be a big, heavy stout, 
there was dark malt left in the auger system. And the slow, uh... like dark malt got into the Pilsner, changed the color, added like, yeah, look at that. There, Like there's minimal dark malt in that, but it's a Pilsner, so you can't hide it. And it just, it jacked it up. And also I'll go on the record for any people that are listening that are brewers and will be like, oh, Josh, that's a rookie mistake, blah, blah, blah. You're right. It is a rookie mistake. When you brew and you have specialty malts, such as dark malts, they're supposed to go in the middle and then you finish with your base malt. Pilsner, two-row, whatever. We use Pilsner. However, here's my defense. I was not present during the stout brew day. Normally, I'm the one throwing bags, and therefore, it was not my fault. Somebody else left dark malt in the auger system. wasn't me, but you get this pale lager. We're not going to name names. And this is actually really good. I had a can of each of them the other day of my special delivery from Greg. Well, no, I haven't had the high gravity ones, um, but they're stronger than the first time I gave it to you. I was a fan. Yeah. These are, uh, well, so the first one you had was aged for not as long. This one was 18 months, barrel aged, higher ABV. It's nice. All right. Why don't you tell people what we're doing? Yeah, it's a good idea. Uh, so basically, <laughs> per, so, all right, I'm going to also give credit where credit's due. So, uh, I was talking to Trip and who is you and yeah, Trip yeah, was like, Hey, I got a really fun idea that I think would fit well with rethinking faith. And it's like, Oh, cool. Fill me in. Cause I love fun ideas. And you are basically like, well, what if you had on a like God pod people like podcasters, and you came up with 20 questions that you asked them in regards to like rethinking their faith and um, interviewed them and like made that a series. And I thought it was a really good idea. And then you added some other fun tweaks to that that we talked about uh, today, actually. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to do this and I'm calling it 20-ish questions with and then whoever the person is. So it'll be 20-ish questions today with Trip Fuller. Um, and the last question is a fun twist that you added to it um, that we should just make people have to listen to the whole episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So but, basically what you're saying is if this episode fails and it never happens again, I'm completely to blame for ruining your podcast. But if it works later, I get partial credit, even though I didn't pick any of these questions. It was just... It was just you. You have a podcast rethinking faith. So why not ask all the people that start podcasts about how they rethought faith and then have some fun with them? Because, like, I mean, I'm you know I'm two weeks away from 15 years, uh, the 15 year old birthday party of homebrewed Christianity, and um, yeah, it's 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 rare that you're on your own podcast and talking to somebody, and then you're like, hold on, let me tell you about myself. And I'm by rare, I mean it's only at least twice a month. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are I multiple think, episodes I don't talk about myself in. Yeah, but and but I think I don't know. I love the idea because I, as I've told you before, and I've you know we've talked about on the podcast, Greg and I both, even though Greg's you know doing his sabbatical, yeah. um, like we think story is really important and. I know story communicates and so i think this really fits us well because it's it's i mean some of these questions are silly a lot of them are pretty serious um and it's going to open up people and they can share their story and then well let's see yeah let's do this 
Let's All right, do let's it. do it. Yeah, let's twenty. It. This is twenty-ish questions with Triple Twenty-ish Florida. questions. And uh, I'm going to be deeply interested how long this takes because normally when I listen to Trip Fuller podcast, three questions takes about four and a half hours. So, whoa, that's a bit much. <laughs> that was a bit much. It was an exaggeration, you know, but it, I understand. There was a wink involved. All right. So, st- st- number one, here we go. 20th right. questions with Trip Fuller. Number one. Uh, so Trip, when you first started podcasting, why is it that you decided to start Homebrewed Christianity? Uh, okay, so there's two two reasons. One, you have to go back to 2008. How old were you in 2008, Josh? Mm. Let's Had see. You, uh, you, you 1994. Couldn't, you couldn't drive yet. It's not 1994. Did, I was born in 94. So uh, how old does that make me in 2008? 2008 minus 94. 94 to 2000 is six years plus eight is 14. Yeah. So you, I was still like a horny uh, high schooler. I know. And now you just turned 30. Anyway, um, I <laughs> <Almost>. was, <laughs> I was, uh, um, I was doing, uh, I, I was working in a church and we had a theology pub group and no one read the books. So I thought to myself, I don't want to go to a, I, what's the point of renting a room at a, at, at a brewery if you don't get to drink the whole time? Solid question, is it? Much older than you, person, <laughs> and I. And so I said, I'm going to interview the people that wrote these books and put it on rewritable discs so everyone can listen to it before our our pub group. So that's what I was doing. Then my my best friend Chad Crawford, the Crawl Daddy, uh, but you don't know this because that he was on the first four years or so of the podcast. Um, was like Trip. Do you know about a podcast? I said no. He goes, I know you love Kevin Smith. He has a podcast. So I listened to Kevin Smith's podcast. This is the filmmaker who made like Jay and Silent Bob, uh, Mallrats, Clerks. Yeah. Um, but my favorite director. I love him. Um, it may come back up in some of these questions. I don't know yet. But I listen to his podcast. I'm like, this is great. It's like him and his best friend Mosier talking about junk. I was like, I can do this, Chad. Let's talk about junk. And put on my interviews and then people can download them and then other people can use them because I was like sending them to friends to use for their groups. And they're like, oh, this is great. I don't have to explain the book. Well, we've done eight or nine episodes. Back then you had to code everything for every post. Uh, in or- and then you had to like explain to people on your blog what an iPod was and how to download it on your computer and transfer the file over to your iPod. Like it was nuts. Well, so... We just kind of never quit doing it. And then over time, a lot more of the population got into doing the podcast and stuff. So, so much of it was just utility as a minister at one point. And then very quickly, because I was involved in the emerging church movement and stuff, people really dug it. Uh, We started taunting other emerging church podcasts. Uh, Nick and Josh podcast was one of them. Rest in peace, Nick and Josh podcast. But, uh, they they gave us a hard time for like we don't need a second podcast for the emerging church. Well, they're dead. That's right, Nick and Josh. You're dead. You are not personally like the individuals. Just their podcast is dead, and I'm still here. I don't know if that's a, a statement that's ne- positive or negative, but I am anyway. Um, 
but the, the second one is homebrewed Christianity was really just that, uh, and this is kind of like the last big exodus from evangelicalism. Tons of people had really good questions and didn't find any space for it. The Merchant Church made space for it. We were trying to be a part of that online. And large portions of Christianity is as tasteless and useless as like Pabst Blue Ribbon. And if you think Christianity is just Pabst Blue Ribbon, you're like, why would you drink that? It's like carbonated chilled piss. Like if you were going to have an American light lager, why would you not have Royale with cheese from Full Tilt Brewing Company? Much more crafty, much more delicious, dominates that the, the spectrum of taste that you're looking for right there. Not, not some PBR. It was award-winning in centuries past. And I think a lot of theology in the church today, the expressions that come out were really excellent long time ago. And so, you know, this is kind of the birth of the craft beer mo movement comes out of like renewal and homebrewing. And so our whole gimmick was let's just interview the coolest nerds in the academy. So people then have ingredients and they can homebrew their own faith because the biggest problem isn't that we don't have like the most popular version isn't the right version. The biggest problem is that the most popular version is tasteless and tastes like chilled urine. That is the biggest problem in Christianity. So we were trying to get as many different scholars and different disciplines that kind of contribute ingredients for people to wrestle and think through their faith. Um, and still doing it. Um, in the meantime, I got a master's degree, a PhD, a postdoc and wrote books and all that other kind of stuff. But, you know, it's 15 years. I started right when Elgin was born. So that's how I keep up with how old it is. It's uh, it's uh. Uh, he was three months old when we had our first episode. So that, and I think this is going to be hard because I'm going to have to, you know, not comment on all of these questions to get through all 20 ish of them. Um, but I look forward to the day when Elgin is a guest on Homebrewed Christianity. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> he was once, though. You'd have to go really? back. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's called Elgin Goes to Mars, and we got uh, we got we well, I, I got I, I'd been doing a number of things for National Geographic and their Mars show, and had asked us to do some stuff, and was like, oh, what if you do a bit with your son? I was like, great, he loves space and stuff, so that's the only episode he's been on, and um, he lets me know about it on a regular basis when. His friends Google him and see a picture of him much younger in his uh, Los Angeles Lakers outfit with his hat sideways next to his father. And they're like, what's up with this, Elgin? Anyway. Well, ask Elgin if he can offer an ontological understanding of the atonement from within a process relational framework and... um let me know when that episode drops because I'd love to All hear right. his thoughts. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. All right, number two. Number two. What is the most embarrassing theological position that you have held to in the past? Maybe even you preached on this. Ooh, if I, okay, it's a different one if I have to preach on it. Which one do you want? Uh, well, so I have it written as position that you held in the past so we'll go okay with that. all right so there's this really really attractive girl in fca in eighth or ninth grade 
and um and she had kissed dating goodbye and so in order to like get a chance to go on a fake date with her i had to read that book and i read it and did my best performance of the ideas and like even took that it made sense to me positions to her friends, not anyone else. Cause it didn't, but, uh, like it, it, that or one time I was at youth camp. Um, maybe it was youth camp. It was probably middle school or, and, and everyone in my cabin rose reading Frank Peretti's this present darkness or one of those things. Um, I read it, got really freaked out. And on the drive back from wherever this camp was, I started telling my dad about it. And he's like, this is a ridiculous trip. <laughs> but, but I was like, oh, it's demons. Why has no one told me about this? And, and my dad's like, oh, this is ridiculous. And my favorite part of it, he goes, he goes, you know, if you ask them, if you ask them enough follow-up questions, they're going to make you quit playing role-playing games. And I was like, oh, then they must be wrong. <laughs> it was the art <laughs> the rpgs was yeah like shut it down like there's no way jesus against is against a solid <laughs> d20 uh man it's solid i like both of, both of them are are great uh dang this is so hard not to comment on all right number three this is this is like kind of uh a left turn here oh okay if you could go back in time, all right. So, because within process thought, it, it, that's not really possible. Yeah, temporality is internal, even a gun. Right. So, if you could go back in time, what would you tell fifteen-year-old Trip? Oh, fifteen-year-old Trip. Okay, two things. One, uh, you should probably get a good therapist earlier in life. Uh, two, all your accountability partners are lying. Um, three, uh, like you, you, you know, okay. I don't know a nice way of putting this. I would tell myself, you, you don't have to take everything personally that you take seriously. I was the kind of person that could not make that distinction. There was quite a bit of time in my early life where I couldn't differentiate being critical of me and critical of my ideas. And I switched my ideas all the time, usually in a combative way, because I was just obsessed with trying to figure things out. Um, and if I could tell 15 year old trip, you're not your ideas and you don't need to do anything to be valuable. Um, and I'm sure he would not be interested in anything I had to say. Uh, I think I'd also be like, you should Google John Cobb. Because if I found him earlier, you know, it might have been, might have been better. You might have come so, to salvation in JC a little bit earlier at yeah. 15. Yeah, you can only get one JC in your heart, but you can hug the other one. That's pretty good. I know. Did uh, you know I did you know I have a new book of John Cobb books, uh John Cobb essays I edited? Yes, dude. Well, it's oh. currently in my Amazon cart. I'm very excited. And you okay. presented it to John. Yeah. At the 50th anniversary of Center for Process Studies and at his birthday party, what, 98 yeah. years old? 
98 years. And he was like, Trip Fuller is the fucking coolest theologian in the world. Verbatim, that's what he said. Or maybe he said something someone similar. I've never heard curse. It's something similar. <laughs> that was cool. Uh, yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, all right. Uh, next, number four. Right. What, what? What is your favorite church memory? So, like, Ooh. time spent in church, favorite. Um. Okay, I'll just say this. Is I I actually like really love church. I love almost everything about it. Even the things that are ridiculous, I think, just like remind me of why Jesus said they know not what they do. You know, like humans are ridiculous. But uh okay, the volume of things from being a youth minister is so high, it would be hard to pick one. So I'd like to bracket it bracket all the youth ministry stuff. Uh, my favorite church moment as a parent, it was when I found out that Elgin, who I had told, you know, because we're Baptist, um, and that he wasn't old enough to get baptized yet, because that's what, you know, we're evangelical type Baptists, more like the conservative ones. They're like, oh, he hit the age of accountability. It's se He's seven. If he dies right now, he's probably going to hell. I'm like, no, Christianity, uh, Jesus calls adults to be disciples. You're going to need to wait. But, you know, when you aren't worried about eternal conscious torment, because JC already conquered sin, law, and death, that's not like your thing, right? So, well, Elgin, I found out, was sneaking, skipping youth group to go to the preparation for baptism classes at church. And he tells me after he's gone through the, the finished the last class, and he's like, I've talked to all the ministers. <laughs> it was like 12. It's like they said I'm 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 old enough to do it and they invited me to come to the class and I've decided to do it. And I I want to I want to tell you my life first. And I was like, "Oh, here we go." Now, if you now I don't know if he how he got to this. But you want to know what he picked? Come on, what do you think? What, what do you, if his dad is about to just be like, I'll take my money, you know, like I'm, I'm all in, I'm all in on this one. Is this a push? Uh, so, like Jeremiah 29 11, John 3 16. No, 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 better. The Philippians to him. Oh, He's like I want my life first to be, let the same mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus who did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself. I'm just like, come on. So he was dropping the kenosis bit like early yeah. on. Yeah, basically his That's whole good. life, he has to deal with the fact that when he proclaimed Jesus as Savior and Lord before getting dunked for all three persons' namesake, he was just like, give me that Philippians 2 business. That is solid. Yeah. Yeah, that that's like a good. That has to be a proud dad moment. That's pretty legit. Yeah, because it mean, could have been like... something shitty. It could have been like if I was twelve years old and was like tasked with finding a life verse, I definitely would have looked up like googled funny Bible verse. Well, I don't know if Google was a thing, but like fig figured out funny Bible you know, verses. When you were young, Google was a thing because you yeah were young. Fifth grade, years. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
so like it would have been the Ezekiel bit where it was like, you know, and there she lusted after her lover whose genitals were like that of donkeys and whose emissions were like that of horses. I know my life first. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I had that printed on a t-shirt in college. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> yeah. I would wear it. I would wear it to the Monday night Bible study with the fundamentalists that take every verse literally. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why I told you. I told you, fifteen-year-old trip needed to get needed to get visited by me and say, like, look, you're not your ideas. None of your friends are right. all going to change your mind multiple times. Like, you can pursue truth, but if you confuse your value and worth with what you're able to articulate in a moment, you're still screwed. Um, so anyway, that's good advice. That's a, that's still good advice that like twenty-nine-year-old Josh Patterson needs. Uh, but we're this is not therapy. That was my interview I did with uh, Sari recently. Um, we're not, yeah. So five. It's similar to your the the previous question. What's your okay. least favorite least favorite church memory? Oh, okay. Like a real so real bummer thing. Least favorite. Okay. Um, we had a between the youth minister youth minister when I was growing up. You know, those are kind of like rant, loose cannons, you know, they haven't been, they haven't gone through all the assessments and they signed us up to go to this youth retreat. that was like at a ski retreat, can't Christian campground thing we'd gone to before, but we switched the week and I don't think there was clarity as to what we switched to. Well, it was, it was some intense, uh, like spiritual warfare, Pentecostal stuff. Well, my youth group was uh, not fit for this. We had a number of practitioners of a number of, I guess, what were qualified as dark arts. And, uh, and and so, like, you know, when you go to those big youth events, they have, like, the worship service and the sermons, and then, like, you go off with your youth group for, like, your discussion, more serious time, following it up, and then you, like, go to bed. Well... Uh, every night it turned into like, what the hell was that? Um, and then one night homeboy caught the Holy ghost and started trying to knock people over. Well, our youth group was like, we aren't down for this. We just all left. It was the most awkward experience. It was horrible. <laughs> Not you want the, uh, now I have another horrible experience but it is really funny but if you imagine it in my position it's horrible but sure. it's a funny story you can decide if you want to keep this in your podcast all right i'll probably keep it but go for it well you haven't heard the story yet <laughs> i haven't <laughs> okay so my favorite youth minister bill ingram was one uh m- middle school youth minister and stuff when I guess a freshman year or sophomore year of high school or whatever, he goes to this other church uh, in Georgia and we're all going to mission fuge. Uh, Our church and his church are going together uh, to the big Southern Baptist mission camp, uh, like service camp type thing in the summer in, um, in Palm beach. So we drive down to Savannah meet up with his youth group, my youth group, where he used to be the youth minister. And there we go. Uh, my best friend, Matt and I, we, we started taking guitar lessons together when we were 12 and, 
you know, started a band and we're rocking and stuff. And every time we'd go on our summer mission trip, we would get the guitar world catalog of like everything that came out that year. So like all the guitars, all the pedals, we would create our ultimate guitar rig and see how much it costs. We just, now this summer, same magazine, except that um, this time it had models holding all the guitars. You know, like uh, like they like a truck magazine, basically. So, whatever. I again, I didn't know the accountability partners weren't telling the truth. This is not a stumbling block for me. I I muted them and uh, repressed everything in the most purity inspired, unhealthy way. But we're like down to make our list. What we don't think anything about it. We're now at the camp. We've done it in this long drive down. It's just in our stuff. These little kids, little kids, middle schoolers, because you know we're in high school. Um, find it in his youth group in our bag. And now they are like checking these girls out, holding Stratocasters and stuff. Right. And they get caught. Now we have no idea. what any of this has gone down. He rolls up into our room with the guitar world magazine with, uh, scantily clad women holding guitars and amps and pedals and stuff like that. And he, he's, he's really losing it, right? Like, he's like, what WTF, you know, like getting emphatic. I'm like, dude, um, one, I have no idea how they got it. They went through our stuff Two, you are a youth minister for a long time. We did this every time we've gone on your youth trip. And then now you're with a different, like they went through our stuff, told, stole a thing. We make the list. You're welcome to go look at the papers in it. Like we're pricing out things, you know, I'm like, uh, and we haven't even messed with it since we got here. It's like what we're doing when we're driving. Like, I don't, I don't know. And he starts going into like leading these kids to lust and, you know, going this and, and uh, getting all worked up. And he's like, this is just unacceptable, blah, 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 blah. And I'm getting irritated because I'm like, look, you don't have to like it. It was in the van the whole time we drove down here. You're not our youth minister anymore. None of my, none of the, None of our youth ministers care. Um, I don't think my dad does. You used to work for him. You're more than welcome to call him. Like, you know, and I'm like, well, let's just calm down. He's like, I said, I'm going to keep this. And I just can't believe that you're leading these boys to stumble, blah, 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 blah. And now you're going to lose this and I'm going to keep it. And I'd gotten so irritated. So I just said, Matt and I are in the room. I was like, oh, no, Matt. I don't know. What am I going to whack off to now without my guitar magazine? And I said it so loud that the, uh, that you heard the other rooms, you know, with two beds in it. It's like a dorm room with like, uh, like six rooms with two beds. And some of them were our youth boys and some were the others. And you just hear laughter to which he get then of course gets more upset. And, uh, and he leaves. And then after the the volume just it couldn't stop. It was like one of those things. Once you start laughing, then it's hard not to laugh. And then I felt bad everyone was laughing because I just felt really cornered and embarrassed. And I'm like, I know what you're suggesting. That's not what I'm going to do because I didn't roll like that because I was a real Christian, you know. But uh, 
after like 30 minutes of people like starting to laugh over again in all the rooms, he like blew up and started screaming at everyone. And I was like, oh, this is horrible. All for Guitar Magazine. Anyway. Now, I, all right. Love the story. I'm going to tell a quick aside and then move on because we still have <laughs> some 20 ish, well, less than 20 questions. Um, Similar story. I participated in this thing called Chrysalis when I was in high school, which was like uh, a retreat that you would go to. It was like, I don't know, like three days or so, like Thursday through Sunday kind of thing. Um, High school retreat. And um, there were these different talks. There was like a dating talk that, you know, the high school kids would give, you know, the a male would give it to the males, female to the females. And there was also a marriage talk and a single life talk. So they covered the bases. And then there was this panel that would happen where you could ask, you could write unanimous questions, um, put them into this thing. And then the panel would have to, they would answer the questions for you, right? You mean anonymous questions? Anonymous. Yeah. Sorry. Um, English is what is my first language. I was about to lie. I just suck at it. Um, And so what would happen is we would do this thing called a team retreat. So if you were one of the people that was facilitating the weekend, you would go away to a, a weekend retreat where everyone would give their talks. You know, we'd critique them. The panel for the sex thing could practice, whatever. I thought because I was in high school that it would be funny to draw a picture of a penis uh, on a note card and submit that to the panel. And then I did it, and when the panel came up, the pastor that was like – they had these things called SDs, spiritual directors. They were the pastors. Uh, one of the, the SDs got up and held up the penis in front of everybody <laughs> <laughs> and was like ste- – like if steam could come out of his ears, it was happening. He was pissed, like red in the face. Angry. Did he wave the penis around yeah. in front of everyone? Yes, like yes, like he was, and it was, and which made it hilarious. Like we were laughing before he even said anything. Oh, <laughs> it was like this is supposed to be we're Christians, and this is supposed to be serious, and blah 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 blah. And everybody in the room except that pastor knew that I was the one that did it. <laughs> and like, and it was, I don't know, it was hilarious. And um, and then you stood up and you said, "Come on, friends, it's really hard for me to believe anyone yeah. would make such a joke." <laughs> Like how did such deceptive perverted things penetrate into your minds? <laughs> yeah, well, on that same on that same weekend, there was this thing that would happen. It was actually really powerful. So uh one the time people, at youth camp. Exactly. The people that were coming, they didn't know about this, but um if they were attending, people there was this thing called agape letters where people would write like really nice letters, like yeah, I yeah. love you, God loves you, kind of thing. And so, like, at a moment in the weekend, the people that were participating, they would receive a bag filled with, like, hundreds of letters from, like, friends, family, people they didn't know kind of thing. Um, On that same weekend, my buddy Dan, not Dan Koch, he was not present at this event. I did not know Dan at the time. Uh, But my buddy Dan drew a a phallus and wrote, how deep, how long, how wide is the Lord's love for you? 
and it was the fun, it was supposed to be a very serious moment uh-huh. and it was like the fun, i was dying anyway uh you phalluses uh yeah and i hope i hope youth group kids still do that um because it's funny here's gonna, a question i'm gonna answer a few of these quickly watch this you ready all right number this will be a quick one for you number six all right what prominent doctrine needs to die penal there we go penal substitutionary atonement if you could remove one book from the bible what would it be and why revelation because (laughs) Because foreign policy charts that's a good answer all right also like it does have some questionable things where it reintroduces dualisms that the ministry of jesus conquered but you know but also foreign policy charts nailed it all right if you could canonize one written document what would it be and why i think i know the answer but you oh this is hard canonize one document oh all right uh if i was thinking of american documents i think it'd be letter to a birmingham jail letter from birmingham jail that was going to be my guess for you um well i think i think i um possibly lord of the rings i don't know like if we're replacing revelation and you need some high quality fantasy then that way no one confuses it with history it's just like no, no, no. There's a hobbit that lives in a hole in the ground. And anyway, um, yeah, I don't, but I think Letter to the Birmingham Jail is probably the best for America, like American church, if we we're going to contribute something. It's, it's got the form of Paul letters getting, getting rambunctious, and it also doesn't let you sidestep conflicted power questions that we're inheriting. Solid answer. Uh, what is Jesus? I would love the Didache though, if we were going to pick something early. Okay. Yeah. What? Uh, to uh, keep going. What is Jesus's favorite music genre? Um. Well, the one that the part of Jesus that's expressed in my heart prefers nineteen ninety four to ninety eight. Uh, grunge. All right. That <laughs> it's very specific. I like it. <laughs> Not just like because my heart's strangely warmed when Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam and stuff comes on. I'm just like, oh, junk. We should clearly go do karaoke right now. But um, yeah, I, 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 I think I think if we're using Jesus in the uh, historical sense, then I don't. I wouldn't even know what the correct answer is. But for using it in the a subjective referent who shares the emotive response of you um, on behalf of the divine, which you might call the concrescent nature of God, then it's going to be the music that brings you deep joy or solidarity and pain. I dig it. All right. What is, what's your favorite book you read in the last six months? Oh, Oh, I reread Niebuhr's Children of Light, Children of Darkness, and it was wonderful. And I don't remember it being that good. I also just finished Merlin Sheldrake's Entangled Life, and that is delicious. I mean, but if you're asking like the last six months, I have 
reread Lord of the Rings in the last six months, which is going to uh, be on my list of favorites. Um, some other fun things. Let's see. I read this. Uh, um, the William James collection of William James philosophy things, and I really liked it. Uh, John Garth's book, Tolkien and the Great War, I read and really enjoyed it. I read a bunch of uh, biographies of Romans, like Cicero, Augustus, all that kind of stuff, going up into going when we were going to Italy. And I had tons of fun reading them. And the Anthony Everett was the one I liked the best. He has a biography of Augustus and one of Caesar, Caesar Augustus and Cicero. Uh, and but I I speed read those things and I just absolutely loved his uh, his were my favorite uh, rebirthing of God from John Philip Newell I read on the airplane recently and that one was fun um yeah I don't know but those are the things that pop in my head but I'm sure you have this experience if you're if you do a podcast you get so many books. Uh, but, well, actually, the book edited by John Cobb is probably my favorite because I picked each chapter. That's the best way. Yeah. Yeah. You're <laughs> like this. I enjoy this book because I picked it all. A book where you are in charge but didn't have to write it and just pick your favorite unreleased things from your favorite theologian. That sounds like a dream come true. Yeah. And honestly, I'll say this. Like the first essay in it is my favorite introduction to process thought that exists. John Cobb introduces process thought with the basically the premises. I'm pretty sure it's the most biblical theology. It's wonderful. Anyway. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, there we go. I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, so here's a more, this one might be a little bit more difficult for you to answer quickly. If Jesus appeared before you visibly and in okay. the flesh, what one question would you ask him? Visibly and in the flesh. What does the and in the flesh thing matter? I don't know. Right. It it does. I mean, it just yeah. I, it's just being uh. If I was talking, and does he understand English? Uh yeah, we'll say. Greek no, you can something? you can do you can do English, no Aramaic or Greek or. But or like maybe it's like in how in the good place where like Chidi speaks I forget what language well, but like everything's translated. It for all gets translated. Yeah. Okay, so I think my question would be, um, at what point is pragmatism irritating to you? Because I think the the beauty of what Jesus said, did, and adored what he what he opened up. Um, embodying nonviolent resistance, expanding the notion of communities of solidarity beyond your tribe and ethnic group and all these kinds of things, really beautiful, powerful and such. And then we're in a situation where we're looking at a, uh, a, a list of problems that are global, ecological, economic, uh, poverty, the impending death of humans, the biosphere, our, our creaturely neighbors and such. And then I would be, I would be real interested to be like, okay, let's just agree that you were right. You know, uh, this is how God rolls. Now, given the way we're stuck 
in systems and communities and institutions, the way we're inheriting things, how, how at what point is being pragmatic about changing minds and slowly steering a ship a little bit different direction? When does that just piss you off? And you're like, no, 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 break this thing. That's like the biggest question I'd want to know from Jesus. And I assume that the resurrected Christ here that showed back up to hang out with me has a little bit more perspective than just like the historical Jesus who clearly was, um, uh, well, anyway, I'm not going to, that would be an aside, but I, like if he's getting the full benefit of having risen to the right hand of the father and then was to show back up, I would be like, when does pragmatism get annoying? Because I think a lot of Christians go back and forth in different challenges and questions as to what does faithfulness look like when uh, you're part of institutions that have these inheritances? Like, do you work within them to make a difference? Do you like break them up and see what happens? All that kind of stuff. It, like, would he pay taxes if he's an American? Half of it goes to just kill people or have stuff in waiting so we can sell it in the cheap to Ukraine to kill people. Like it's, you know, it's, I'd be interested in what his response was. I bet it would make so many Americans uncomfortable. They'd be like, oh, no, no, we're not followers of Jesus. We're Christian. Wait, as if, okay, if imagine if you will. Um, <laughs> all right, so real quick question about that question. Do you think it'd be more fun to ask people about G because that's like a, that's basically historic Jesus. You made a differentiation between historic Jesus and the risen Christ, which is yeah, I'm with you. Uh, but is it more fun to ask people the historic Jesus question or the risen Christ question? Oh, I I mean, you have the language difficulty with the historical Jesus. You get different answers. Like the historical Jesus thing, like you may have like these profound questions. He's just gonna be like, they invented toilet paper. I'd <laughs> be like, I don't know what the fuck that means. What is it? They have toilet paper? <laughs> toilet paper. Like, how is your beard so organized? I mean, granted, the Italians, like, painted on these great organized beard. But, you know, like, there's so many things that if you just have your horizon. Like, think of, like, I have some dead relatives that would make no sense of the world their great-grandkids have. Now let's throw it back to before penicillin, right? Homeboy is just going to be like, how many people get past 20 years old? Most of them. Really? Wow. Abba's been rocking it, right? And then we're just going to be like, Jesus, do you understand what the problems are? It's like, but you're saying how many get past 20? <laughs> like, like. You're like, what are the biggest problems facing your globe? Look, uh, we're we're trying to trying to conquer world hunger. And he's like, it's a great, great job. Great job. To, you should focus on that. And then you're like, I know, I know. And the thing is, like, there's like um more than enough food to feed everyone. And you, you just start explaining it to him, and he's like, So what? What are you saying? So in order to feed some people, you make them open up shoe boxes full of plastic stuff made in China from Franklin Graham. You're like, yeah, yeah. It's called the witness on your behalf. Do you enjoy that? Jesus. 
anyway, like the the historical <laughs> Jesus things will get interesting response. But I think like if fun, you're thinking yeah. of like Christ at the right hand of the Father, you know, or whatever way, like where if you were getting the benefit of a a G, a Jesus centered divine perspective. That's a different question altogether. I'd ask a pragmatism one. If it was like the historical Jesus one, I'd be like, you know, for all the middle schoolers that have struggled with this, did you jerk off? And you if he did, like how that? how how was it? <laughs> How's your experience? <laughs> if all I remember is right. pre is pre toilet paper. <laughs> it's true. So it's like what your robe. When the lady touched them. <laughs> All right, we're not going to go there. Anyway. Yeah, Joshua, you're, <laughs> edit. you're really trying to edit this podcast. No. All right. <laughs> All right, moving on. No more. I'm not going to do it. Top three podcasts that are not your own. So Homebrew Christianity does not fit in top three. Oh. Okay. The podcast will listen to every day. Is Mason in Ireland? It is the sports podcast from Los Angeles. John Ireland's a play-by-play guy for the Lakers, and Steve Mason is, I think, the most entertaining person. Now, it is three hours, but the you know the commercials cut out because three hours of radio in in Los Angeles, and it's how I when I was a minister, I listened to keep up with all the LA sports and stuff because. People talk to you about it. Now I'm, I got endeared to them. And in Scotland, I would listen to it every day, especially during lockdown. And um, so I listen to it all the time. But if you don't love Los Angeles, Los Angeles sports, then I wouldn't suggest it. A second. Okay. Well, if you want a podcast about podcasting, School of Podcasting is my favorite. Um, my favorite Tolkien podcast is the Prancing Pony podcast. My favorite news podcast is Breaking Points. Um, it, it, it and uh, but my favorite, the, the one I miss no episodes to is Robert Wright's podcast, Robert Wright's non zero podcast. And I'm a member of his Patreon where you get, um, so like he does interviews every week, Robert Wright, the author. Uh, science writer and all that kind of stuff talks about religion, science and philosophy and uh, foreign policy. I think this is probably his main area. He wrote the book non-zero, but the uh, bonus podcast every week is him and his longtime friend, Mickey cows. Who's like uh, absolutely nothing like him politically. He's like a Trump fan, but not like, a Trump fan for the reasons, like if an intellectual was to try to convince themselves to be interested in Trump, Mickey Kaus does that. He ran for governor in uh, California. And one of these things were like half his political alignments are liberal and half are conservative. Uh, and I mean, he's obnoxiously annoying, but they're best friends. And they talk about the news for like two or three hours on Saturdays is when it comes out. And I, because I love Robert Wright, 
it's one of my favorite podcasts because I actually like this is a semi-intelligent person that holds these positions and it's helpful for me. And they're both so much older uh, that they don't understand any of the culture things that is thoroughly entertaining. It's endearing, right? Like listening to them talk about any of the culture war type stuff is hilarious because because Mickey says stupid things like someone that has that feels like Trump would say, and uh, and Bob or Robert Wright's kids are like Ivy League uh, leftists, and so like he knows not to say certain things, and it's just funny. But the thing they share in common that I that is my like if I was to talk about politics on a regular basis is that America has almost no dissent in its foreign policy, and it drives me up a wall. The right and the left may disagree and have fights about all these identity politic things. They may posture different ways on taxes um, and tons of things, but they both are deeply committed to the military-industrial complex and strength through force and all sorts of things, like having you know hundreds of bases in other people's countries. And both of them are deeply suspicious and find it problematic. In Robert Wright's book, Non-Zero, which is one of my favorite books, it's talking about developing non-zero relationships as opposed to zero someone's, right? Where you're someone wins and someone loses. And uh, he spends quite a bit of time articulating the way that America violates the rule-based order of the globe and then expects everyone else to hold it up. And he's just, he keeps pointing it out to go like, no, no, we don't follow any of these rules. And then like we randomly pick when we have problems about it because we actually don't care. We're just going to do what we think is important to us. And as long as that's still our framing, it's really hard to, to respond politically to a lot of the major threats, environmental ones, genetic editing, um, intellectual property, what we do with mat technology and it, you know, once it goes uh, online, I mean, there's so many things where nukes, uh, where, where if we don't figure out how to cooperate outside of the nation state, then we're screwed. And America gives people a hard time if they're against us for breaking those rules while well, we break them all the time. Anyway, but Robert Rice Non-Zero podcast, my favorite part is the members podcast. Prancing Pony podcast, Breaking Points, Mason in Ireland, if you love Laker updates, school podcasting, best podcast about podcasts. And I successfully picked no theology ones so that I don't have to pick my friend's favorites. But obviously, that was smart. Obviously, it'd be rethinking faith because <laughs> you're right here and you gave me free beer. And I trust it. You gave me beer. So that just makes me feel better about you. Yeah, no bribing. I got you. So when you said the Mason, it's definitely Ireland not one, Dan Cokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You you have permission is lame. Or are we talking about uh, uh, pretty good vibrations, which is also lame. But when you said the Mason in Ireland thing, I thought you were saying Mason in Ireland, and I was like, wait a minute, Mason, as in Christian men lick here, Mason. Twitter's youth pastor, as you have deemed him, <laughs> he has a podcast about his time uh, spent in Ireland. Mason's podcast is a people's theology. 
Right. So Mason and I, I did Mason not list in it. Ireland. <laughs> you can see you can see the you can see the confusion. Yeah, 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 Mason and Ireland. Like it's the two last names. Right. Right. Steve Mason, John Ireland. Uh Steve Mason was the first uh publicly gay like out uh sports broadcaster. Oh, there we and go. John Ireland's a play-by-play guy for the Lakers. And Sweet. uh Good deal. He would like lit like uh I met I met them for a brief second and t- kind of lost my biscuits. <laughs> it's like, like, you know how many thousands of hours of you all listen to it two and a half speed with the silence cut out? Could you talk faster to me right now? It like I don't understand you unless you speak very fast. Yeah. All right. More serious question. How far are we into this list right now? Pretty far. We're at 13. Oh, okay. We're, we're doing good. More than more than halfway, yeah. Considering our last podcast was three hours. Right. Which was a lot. <laughs> but it's fun. I've listened to it and I like it. All right. Number 13. Tell me about a time you felt most connected with the divine. Like uh recently? In general. It's an open question. Just um... a time you felt most connected with the divine. I'll be honest, Josh. I, I have a lot of, in, I have a lot of intense religious experiences. I don't, I don't have a, I, like our friend Sarah Lane Richie will probably just be irritated listening to me say any of this, but it doesn't take much for me to be like experiencing in some conscious way divine presence. I mean, it wasn't always true, but it's, at this point, it is. So, like, lots of little things linger. Today's so, Triple is a mystic. That's what we're hearing. Got it. Well. It's down. Well, I don't. Uh, the things mystics apparently do, I'm not wonderful at. But but I fake it like a champ, you know. Fake it to uh, make it, homeboy. Like, today's Ash Wednesday. Um, and, uh, you know. We, Elgin wanted to go to Ash Wednesday service together, and then he's an introvert and had a long day at school. It's not. He's like, I just want to go play video games and zone out. I've, I don't, I don't want to see anyone. I'm ha- I had a bad day, you know, kind of thing. Cora, the nine year old, her best friend from school is not in her class. Came over after school, and they go to the same church we do. Um, and she's like, oh, I want to go. So I put my clothes back on and we went and it was a beautiful service. And they were using the kind of the connection between ashes, breath of God, and all that makes us up being stardust and multiple generations of dead stars. And there's these different scripture readings and prayers and music that runs through. And then you had these this art piece that you're making as you go through with three different questions, um, helping you think about the way our own finitude is nested in this ongoing process of becoming and life and possibility and cultivating deep gratitude for what came before what's here and what's to come. And, you know, the way they framed it and stuff. And I was, you know, disappointed initially that, 
Elgin didn't feel like going, but also didn't want to give him like the bitter, like peer pressure thing that preacher's kids are probably pretty good at giving their children. And then Corey and I go, and we had the best time. And I, we had like nine year old conversations about the, we're part of a world where stuff is born and dies. And the things that make us up have been part of this giant story for 13.8 billion years. And, um, what does all that mean? And she's like, it means things are always growing and always changing and, and God's in, in the whole thing. I was like, hell yeah. You know, and, and so like, I don't, I mean, I don't know what else I would ask for from this day, but that moment. Right. And then her talking about, she's like, so everything's really stardust and, you know, and start talking about it. And she's like, even Dino, the dog. Yeah. And she's like, well, Dino, Dino is, Dino's like kind of like more like God sometimes than the rest of us, because like, if we get mad at each other and she like goes into, you know, like what humans do, she's like, but Dino will always just sit in your lap and, and love you. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's like normal nine-year-old things, but also it's very true. And she's like, like you always say, dad, the most true thing is that we're God's beloved. And I was like, yep. This is, you know, like I, I, I feel like a, an account of my existence that doesn't involve that most days is deficient. But I mean, I could give you, I mean, I, I could give you intense stories from the past, but like, I mean, I just don't, I, I think at least for me, because I have plenty of friends that this is not their experience, but so, for me, so much of the recognition of the divine is the questions that frame the way you interpret your existence. And the, the beautiful thread that ran through the Ash Wednesday service today was about gratitude and gratitude being uh, something that is kind of woven into our finitude. I, and then I'm, having that in a sense spoken over me while I'm sitting there with a daughter who's fully participating in it with me and having those conversations. I'm like, hell yeah, that's great. Anyway, that's no, it's perfect, man. I, it, it, I think it, when I think about that question, cause, uh, and I know I'm not supposed to be commenting, commenting on these, uh, but we're we're doing good so um when i think about this question for myself it i am in a similar position to you i i have a hard time speaking on it because i i mean i call my like think of myself as like a wannabe mystic um but i i have i have these experiences where i am like randomly overcome with emotion um mm -hmm. like literally where i like like physically cry um and i've noticed about them there are always moments when i am actively participating in things that are good and beautiful and true um 
for example, the most recent one uh, where I like lost my shit, I was like in front of hundreds of people and started crying like an idiot. And it wasn't even for anything good for a, a dog wedding. My wife is in animal welfare and as a fundraising event, they do this yeah. dog wedding. And so they had these two dogs. Were you that the both bone of, bearer? I was, I was the officiant. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, the dogs, so both of these dogs were dogs from uh, Barks, which is the, the rescue that I was putting it on. And they were both a part of this thing they have called the Frankie Fund, which is like dogs that are really, for lack of a better term, like come in super fucked up and like they're probably going to die. But like, is Frankie Fund in relationship to Frankenstein? I don't know. I don't uh, know enough about it. <laughs> they were like, wait, this one's stitched back together. What and the... that's literally what they are. So these do- like both of these dogs were like essentially like miracle dogs, right? And they're making them get, you know, fake married, whatever. But I'm like telling these dogs stories in front of a group of people who are here <laughs> because yeah. they all of them like paid good money to be like this is like picture legit wedding. This was in like the Lord Baltimore Hotel, which the ballroom costs like thousands of dollars to rent out. They give it to Barks for free. All of the vendors, the alcohol, the food, tables, the wedding cake, everything was free. It's a wedding. Picture a wedding. I'm talking about these two creatures that were down and out, literally going to die. And these freaking people in this room that were love animals enough to come to a fucking dog wedding there was something about that moment performing this fake wedding ceremony that i was just overcome with emotion and i was crying in front of all these people like an idiot but to me it was an and i try to explain it to my wife afterwards like this was a moment where I felt deeply connected to the divine because whatever was happening in this space was something that I thought was good. It was beautiful and it was true. Um, and that happens a lot for dumb stuff, but I don't know about well, now. Now look, you can make you, fun of if me. If you end up being a parent <laughs> and then you see holiday commercials and oh, I'm done. And I'm, you're just I'm like, gonna be done. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, oh no, Folgers isn't my cup. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm gonna. So I'm gonna take that question and flip it. All right. Uh, tell me a time when you felt least, the least connected from the divine. Oh, least connected. See, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd use connected. Maybe I. Where the All presence right, change, of divine feels like be a, a good judgment. academic. Problematize my question. No, no I like go talk to Dan Coke about it. He'll get mad and then oh, answer well, it. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> if the if by if by connection we mean harmonious one, the times I in the dark middle, night of the soul. The times in the middle of situations where, like, uh, I'm pot committed to being ridiculous in some way, and then halfway through realize I'm being completely ridiculous, like, uh, it, it's always the worst with your with parenting. I think where 
I think I'm like trying to be a reasonable parent, making some demand or trying to be clear about something. And then I'm, they, I'll ask a question or follow up or Alicia gives me a look. And then I think, and I'm like, actually I'm in the wrong here. Uh, like that is like the disharmony experience. And then, and it bothers me, but then at night when I'm going to bed and everything's done. And then I think to myself, WTF trip, like you let whatever it was going through your life that day, get to you. So you screwed up about showing up for the people that are most important to you. Like, how did that happen? Where did this come from? And I find it's those kind of failures when it goes to your partner or your, your children are the ones where I am most resistant to any kind of divine affirmation. I, that is when I will disagree with God and be like, no trip does suck. And this is ridiculous. And what a loser. Um, and when, when I can't manage to understand myself as cared for and affirmed, not that anything I did was accurate or not, but, or good or not, but that is the experiences that are most far, uh, when the experience of the divine's most far away. Um, I mean, pro much younger, I, I feel like there was a lot more when, when my theological understanding or like the vision of God I had where God wasn't actually that wonderful of a like personality. I had a different kind of fear, you know, where I was like worried about my judgment and things, but now I feel like I give myself a lot harder time than the divine does not that God's judgment isn't significant, like in the way that God evaluates every moment, but, uh, I get stuck in the past about my failures and God's like, okay, well, since that can't change, what do you want to do right now? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not done dwelling about my failures. And God's like, okay, what's that going to accomplish? You just, you just going to be bitter and be snippy at your family for another two days. Cause you sucked. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I promise I'll feel better after this. You know, you know, like the, it, the, the distance from God experiences are for me most often my resistance to the gift of grace for the next moment where I'm stuck in whatever my past failures were or whatever. And, um, and I'm like, can we please make this a lot bigger deal? And I think culturally, though, like at this moment, there's a lot of people that want to boom trip is back. I don't um, know what happened. And you were in the middle of a really good thing. And so what I did was I when you cut out, I started talking about how I was resonating with what you were saying. Oh. Um, but then I like I'm glad I said you some... resonated. No, big time, dude, because like the times. Too when I and I took a, a time stamp and the good luck editing this, Marty. But <laughs> when I feel most 
like disconnected or whatever are similar to what you're saying. It's, it's times when I like, I feel like I'm laying in bed and I'm like, wow, today, Josh, you really were a shitty husband or like that situation at work, you didn't handle it correctly. Or, um, I don't know if I can be honest. Here's one, uh, like, dude, I can't believe that yet again today, all you did was just like drink beer all day and, and be shit faced. Like that, like I that I resonate with the experience of like I don't know you phrased it basically like I don't know God I think you're wrong like trip really does suck like more often than not my days end with I don't know God I think you're wrong Josh really does suck so I all I'm all that to say I resonate yeah. with the what you're saying well yeah I I think that I I. One of the things I love about Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, not the not the letters from the Birmingham jail guy. I know I've already one. canonized him. I'm not right. I'm canonizing <laughs> not, got it. No, if we did, I his three treaties from 1520 would be my suggestion. Because, oh, anyway. Um, the, he, he had this predicament where he had internalized the like quest for faith in a way that was, gave him all sorts of guilt and anxiety. And then his confessor was like, homeboy, you're taking this a bit too seriously. Like you don't need to go losing sleep because you had your little foul thought, um, you know, running in the background uh, all day long. Like you, you need to, you need to relax, Martin. You're, you're, you're getting a little worked up here. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I got to confess my junk. I got to, and, and honestly, like, how do we know? When do we, how do we even know the forgiveness stuff here works? Like, I don't really feel like hanging out in purgatory, let alone hell. Right. And and he had all this anxiety. And now I don't have that existential experience about the potential of eternal conscious torment, but of wasting the precious life I have uh, and not loving and caring for those around me, which I think is where the the parts I was sharing that you resonate with are there. Uh, and you it gets to this point for Martin where his big insight We've had more than one, but you know, the one that stuck with me the most when I spent a few months reading through most of what he had written uh, for my PhD qualifying exam on him, uh, he had this insight where he said, you know, the sacraments in Catholicism work not because the person receiving them or the person performing them. Like, you're good enough to do it. Eh, it's above our pay grade. They work because uh, the church is performing an event or an action. Jesus did, right? So your baptism or uh, that kind of thing, right? You get, um, and for him, this this event, of the forgiveness of sin 
he realized that what the, just like the priest saying, this is my body and this is my blood, or I baptize you, that these experiences where the priest is there to make present the power of the word of God. Um, that's also happening when the priest says your sins are forgiven. And for him, it had this experience where all of that fear and anxiety and his self-judgment, he asked himself, well, who am I to disagree that the, that the creator of all has deemed me his beloved? Now, I probably wouldn't keep the same pronoun, but I remember that experience and thinking that, that Martin Luther asked this kind of question where he's like, well, who, who's in a better position to give you a solid assessment of you? You know, Josh, like, like obviously we would be like, oh, our partners or our coworkers, um, my children, those kind of things. Uh, maybe your dad, probably not your mom. She's a partisan. You know, these kind of things like where you go, okay, but none of them have the perspective of God. And so like, if God has said, you are my beloved, if you don't think that you're just internalizing a lie, it's above your pay grade to disagree. You got to check your facts, Lord of all heaven and earth. This is like, I care about you. And then you're like, whoa. Well, I'm not sure. Let me run through my failures, dear friends, you know, and this kind of thing. And I think what Luther realized was that when the church says your sins are forgiven in the, you know, after confession, that is very much like you are my child, right? Baptism, or this is my body that it has a, that function that the, 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 the sole purpose of the church there is to witness to what God has already done, what God has already said. And that freed Luther from that internal, uh, the internal predicament of always trying to become the person that then he finds him, he judges himself acceptable, that you're already acceptable, not because of what you've uh, done, but because of the value that you carry. And that to me was, was a shift. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of personal story stuff behind all of that, but when I have experiences of the absence of God or, or dark nights of the soul and all those kinds of things, I've not had one that was anything except like ultimately grounded in my resistance to receiving the affirmation that I think God gave us, um, well, in many ways, but as Christians through the incarnation, divine solidarity. Um, I think the incarnation, that divine solidarity is recapitulating, fun theological word, uh, the grace of creation, right? So it's all grace upon grace, but um yeah anyway
What do you think? That was me rambling. I was well, trying then. to. Well. <laughs> well, done. well, here. I'm going to. Uh, this next question is. I don't know. I'm back and forth. It's either okay. an easy question or it's not. Like, All right. We'll, we'll see. I love the uh, Lakers. How, oh, how far is. How far is too far? Which also, I was just practicing fits. That's a solid answer. <laughs> this question. But how, how far is too far? Well, I want you to know that I've never kissed a Lake, uh, a Celtics fan. Me neither. My wife doesn't give two fucks about basketball. Also, well, she's not the only person I've kissed. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't say bang. Hell, yeah. Obviously. Uh, Everything outside of that, she is the first. But uh, kissing, not so much. I think like seventh grade, I was like dared to kiss a girl in a hot tub, and I definitely did. Uh, well, but, how anyway, far is too how far? How far is too far? Um, I, here's, what, here's what I think. Is that it's a really poorly framed question. But... If you need an answer, I'll give you an answer to it in a second. But I would just say the question, how far is too far, usually comes from people that think your bodily desires are something that you need deep prescriptive boundaries for because this is untamed fire. And that's just a bad idea because like your your erotic desires are a gift and are something that uh, in the proper context um obviously not without coercion and an affirmation of agency and all the clumsy curiosity of mutual affirmation through physical touch but like the 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 how far so far thing is is prescriptive about something that's hard to be uh it's hard to flourish under prescriptive terms. Now, I've been a youth minister long enough that dodging that answer is basically a permission slip. You know, so uh, I have different answers based on age ranges and who their parents are. You know, like I, I'm a situational answerer to this. Um, I so will it sounds say, like it's a wisdom call. Yeah, it's a wisdom call, but... Uh, having answered this question a bunch of times and being friends with lots of youth ministers in uh, The Road to Edmund, the movie I did, there's a scene in it that made the movie where was where my character, who's a guy that lives in his van and runs over a youth minister's car, I mean, a bike, when he is going on a road trip, you know, like to escape his church after he gets in trouble for being welcoming to a teen. And I find out he's a minister. So my, guy, my character is driving this van you know it picked him up and i pretend to be one of his youth little jimmy who's asking about how far is too far and i mean this is a true story of a person i know who asked after the how far is too far and you know not being clear and and in the movie you know i do this right like and you're like well what if i don't touch the areola Right, like, could you grab the boob but just not touch the areola? And uh, having watched the movie at film festivals, both uh, a number of them, but the number of uh, people who 
bring that scene up as like a vis like a palpable experience if you grew up in a religious environment where the idea like you could touch a booby as long as you didn't touch the nipple um that kind of thing makes me makes me that like that is like the origin of like why I resist it but if if resisting specificity leads you just to be ridiculous then I'll likely tell someone like one step before what I would like to be held responsible for giving advice. That's my like legal disclaimer as a youth minister. <laughs> like, but I, I was the youth minister that showed that, that made sure everyone knew how to use uh, birth control in a variety of ways and have facilitated parents talking with certain members of their family about accessing it. And I was also the one that insisted that you should not need another person of same or different gender to come. And I find those, those are the more important things. If you eliminate birthing, the conception, and you eliminate the presence of another person required for you to enjoy the gift of an orgasm, then you can start to answer that question in ways where you're honest about the way emotional vulnerability and all that stuff comes. So, but I will, but um, prescribing no sex before marriage is a real bad idea. Yeah. I, and me, I did it. So just like I, I'm a true, I, I, I succeeded, but I was also married at 20. So, you know, <laughs> right, so you had the, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. Well, my pause is is showing my uh, lack of uh, performative uh, abilities. But I, because like I, I tried, really did. I had a purity ring and all that kind of stuff. Um, the only person I've ever had sex with is my wife, Noelle. Whether or not that waited for marriage, I'll let my silence uh, give you the answer on that. But when I was when I was still working with teenagers. For me, it was always because I hated that question. I, I it was difficult for me. So the way that I would try to talk about it without um giving them permission or not was like, well, let's let's think about this as like a wisdom call. I'd be like, you know, I know I'm like a pastor and stuff, but let's like sideline Jesus and stuff for a second and just ask like, uh. Are we like? Are you prepared to deal with the con the possible consequences? Um, and again, this is you know assuming heterosexual, you know, relations as normative. Um, but like, are you willing to accept the consequences of your actions, kind of thing? Mm -hmm. I don't, and that was like the best I could do at the time. Um, and I never gave answers. But my favorite story in this regard was I had a student who um came to me and was always uh on about like you know I watch porn and and jack off too much and like I never taught about this um but they were like always telling me about it and I was like you know I talked to them <laughs> and one day I dude I was writing a sermon my office my door was shut and I knock on the door I look up in the little windows this student so like, you know, I was like, you know, come on in, whatever. I never turned a student away. Um, and 
he was so excited. He was like, Josh, I figured it out. And I was like, all right, fill me in. What did, what did you figure out? He was like, I found this stuff. It's called hentai. It's like porn, but it's animated. So it doesn't count. And he was like, he was thrilled. Like, I, I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> like, he was like, it, it's great. You know, I can do my thing. It's not hurting anybody. It's not exploiting women. It's not exploiting anybody. They're cartoons. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and that, and like, he was thrilled about it. Like, it was a thing. And so, yeah, anyway. It was a breakthrough. Uh, it was a breakthrough. And I, I didn't have, that was one of the more difficult situations I had. Because I was like, I wanted to be like, you know, rock on, dude. But also, I didn't want to get fired. So I didn't know how to answer him. Uh, well, uh, it all depends on how you understand the consciousness of AI. Right. <laughs> right. Like, uh, do... So, like, the tentacles and the girl, like, they're animated, but is it a thing? Anyway, moving on. Um, What's my next question? Ooh, I don't know. This, you have a list. Like, this is, like, see, this is, like, a more serious question and like tentacle porn is not the way to lead into it. So, but you're trip full. Good you transition, Josh. Transition. Boom. Here's the transition. Uh, what aspect of your face? So in your, in your own journey, when you think back, what aspect of your faith has been the most difficult for you to have to rethink or reconsider? Oh, Hmm. Well, I think the biggest one that was hardest, like most of like the things the average person like goes through, like because I got through them intellectually, they weren't as difficult, right? Like, oh, say like the different questions around God and and stuff like that, and. Those weren't, I didn't experience those as earth shattering. The, the questions that were, oh, okay, there's two. One is, I still am not sure you can be an American and be a Christian very well. So, like that <laughs> just Rock on. plagues me. I mean, obviously, that's what I was going to ask Jesus if we had the resurrected Christ to talk about. Mm -hmm. Amen. Nation of pragmatism and revolution, um, and and the other, as and this is more of a recent one, like knowing all you know about the way psychology shapes things, and such. I think, um, not the not their conclusions, but the way they think about your task as a. Uh, I think the modern notion of the subject is really problematic for individuals to be raised with and because we live in a multi-ethnic multi-religious democracy uh, and the dominant shared narratives are shaped by neoliberal capitalism and the myth of the democratic individual um, it is very hard to as a parent communicate uh, faith 
and its task in a way that is as deep as you would wish it was if you grew up in a place where it mattered ultimately. The people that it does create subcultures and have had, you know, half their Facebook timeline was at Jan 6th. And so I've, I feel like that is like an ongoing question. Um, I have about as many, probably more problems with what is the, the dominant I mean, philosophical problems with the dominant worldview of the academy as with shitty religion but it's more culturally acceptable for people on my side of a political spectrum so uh, plenty of people get put in it and then parents tell everyone their kids are free agents and they don't want to coerce them into something but what it ultimately does is what they're being coerced into is the logic of neoliberal capitalism. And so then you wonder whether or not you're actually giving your kids a chance to experience the gift of any wisdom tradition, let alone your own. Uh, don't have any solution for that one. Lose a lot of sleep about it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, another uh, soft Is that even an answer to the question you asked? I at the, like I knew the two things I wanted to talk about, but then I forgot the question by the time I got to them. <laughs> no, it's good. It was it was uh, what aspects of your faith were most difficult to rethink. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there you go. There, which Parenting. is a is yeah, it's tough because like it, for the longest time for me, it was Jesus. Like I did an episode with uh uh fuck, what's his name? Uh Colby Martin, um who like it, uh, actually two episodes with him. One he had did like a book called on clobber, but the other one was like the shift or something like that. And he had a whole chapter about rethinking Jesus. And like, I, at that point in my uh, faith journey, whatever, I was not prepared to start asking that kind of question. Were you distracted um, by how well his hair is? Like he's always yeah, got his hair on point. He does. Yeah. Colby does. Or he has like that hat. It's like purple. I don't know what it is, but it's a purple hat that he wears all the time. But uh, anyway, um, so this question, like, yeah, all right. I already, yeah. If you still consider right. yourself a Jesus follower, which yes. I believe you do, uh -huh. uh, why have you stuck around? Um, well, I think that if you look at the major crises that are facing us as a species, having communities that think, and are grounded in a picture of self-giving love is going to be required for the survival of the species. I also think that the advent of uh, communities of nonviolent resistance to imperial regimes is a breakthrough of God's own self-investment and testimony in history. And to be called up into that structure of existence is a deep grace. Um, I also think there are, uh, and, and I know how this sounds for people that have shitty religion. I, well, I don't know how it sounds. I know what it's like to talk to people that have had lots of shitty religion and I haven't. Um, and then they just start describing me their experience of Christianity. I'm like, yeah, I'm not even sure that counts. 
So, um, but so like on the macro, there's that, but also, um, there's like pragmatic things about like just the life outcomes of people that participate in religious communities. And there's that. And then on the other side is that, uh, there are very few places that when they are being themselves, then they do a number of things. When you gather, it begins by telling you that you should cultivate gratitude for being part of a cacophony of life and grace. And then it invites you into naming the places where you're broken, harmed, uh, um, and need growth. It's called a confession of sin and such. And then proclaims that. In the con you're allowed to be completely honest about reality because it's in the context of grace. And then after that, reads texts from multiple uh, communities and parts of history and tells you, like, look, you're part of a giant, a giant history of people wrestling with the divine. And then it seeks to call out of that wisdom that not just was present then but is present for yourself in the present then invites you to join the movement that all those texts and communities represent and then it says to you 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 are the very place the divine is being welcomed and greeted are you going to greet and welcome the divine and then it blesses you and sends you out like i i don't find a lot of i don't find a lot of other stories and invitations that aren't stories outside of the historic wisdom traditions compelling. I could, I'm pretty comfortable about switching if I needed to, but I don't feel, feel a need to, but I, I think most of the cultural expressions that claim your identity that have been developed of late are uh, ways of valorizing some of the worst parts of our bio biological inheritance and the justifications we give for it at the cultural level, like uh, um, making heroes of billionaires is the moral equivalent of celebrating uh, a, a plantation owner. But we're supposed to act like it's different. I, anyway, I people are interested. I have whole classes on this, but I, I'm just meaning like the amount of death. Like if you anyway, I it if you for me, there's not. I don't find I don't find any of the other big stories that compelling. I mean, unless there was like literally. You know, if J.R. Tolkien was in charge of a religion, and even in that case, I'll still be like the liberal Protestant version. So, you know, be like, oh, the Andalindale is basically a process creation story. Come on, it's all about music and weaving dissonance into the harmonies, which, by the way, is what happens in the Silmarillion, which is the beginning of the whole Middle Earth creation story. Anyway. So I got I got five questions left, and two All of right. them, two of them might require some, you know, explanation. The 
the following the last three are like you I already know one of the answers. I probably don't even need to ask you. I could just answer all right. for you. But all right. So do you still attend church? I know yes. you do. And if you do, why? Because it's awesome. Nailed it. All right. Uh where do you see Christianity in 25 years? Well, obviously, everyone is a regular donor to Homebrewed Christianity podcast. No, I'm, um, I, I, I actually think twenty five years is an interesting number because, uh, I think I really, and this is going to sound bad, but when the baby boomers are dead, I'm real interested in what's going to happen. I'm with you, which is why I picked twenty five, <laughs> and. And so I feel like there are going to be certain changes that people have been beating their head up against the wall that the moment they're out of power will shift and then there'll be a creative spurt, right? Because, I mean, you tell me if this is wrong, but I feel like my age and younger are, none of, no one was really smitten of some time that we were culturally dominant and awesome, right? Like that baby boomers had this idea like, oh no, we were good at this one point. We're going to get back there. Come on, friends. Because everyone basically that came of age 9-11 and after knows that Christianity is like been like the the theological cover for stupid shit that and then now people are just like, oh, we don't need to do that. We don't have to go anymore. We can just like tell everyone we're evangelical and be a Christian nationalist or, you know, whatever, whatever their, their thing is. I feel like the church is in the process of the, they're on a keto diet right now. You know, they're like shedding weight. They're also like starting to hit, hit the weights because whoever's going to be left once the baby boomers are dead and the institutions reshuffle are going to be there for like some semi legitimate reason, not just because Christianity happens to be in charge of America and you have to be one to run for office. Right. And so I feel like there will be, in the next 25 years, there's going to be this like dying off of the generation that has nostalgia and has ceased change. And then this eruption of creativity for the people that remain, but the ones that remain aren't going to be like depressed about dwindling numbers. It'd be more like energized of how do we harness faithfulness in beautiful ways. That's my optimistic take. I hope it's true because the planet would really love communities of faith committed to the flourishing of all of our human and non-human neighbors. And that will more likely take place post baby boomers. Now, but I, I love a lot of them. So I'm not, I'm not interested in them exiting. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like optimistic, uh, trips perspective. Um, this one is super easy. I feel like, like an idiot asking you, but uh, right. Tolkien, Tolkien or Lewis? Tolkien. Because I'm reasonable. Right. <laughs> I already know. I didn't have to ask you. Uh, what's your favorite CCM band? Ooh, does Five Iron Frenzy count? Sure. Okay. I made up the rules. So, yeah. Five Iron, that's a good answer. So, I, fun fact, I, I, when I first, found five iron frenzy i didn't know that they were like a christian thing yeah well, yeah they were just witnessing for the lord yeah and it worked on me it's weird 
All right. Uh, so here we go. The last question of the 20-ish questions. All right. Um, what podcaster do you want to hear answer all of the questions that you just had to answer? Because Ooh. they're going to be the person that's next. And her, uh, th- this is full, like, pull, pull the curtain back kind of stuff. Uh, per your recommendation, um, whoever you say, either you are going to email and, and, and CC me, or I will email them and CC you and be like, Hey, we did this fun thing. I want you to uh-huh. do it. What do you think to continue uh, the series? So okay. who's it going to be? Or do you have any, do you have any suggestions though? Because I have, I, I be, mean, I can be persuaded. Like. I have no problem talking someone into doing this, mostly because I have a lot of friends I'd be interested in doing. Now, if you're asking me of who I think would be most entertaining, that is a different a different answer. Who? So, all right. Um, this is difficult because I could be selfish and be like, here's a person that I know you're connected to that I would love to talk to. But also, like, I don't know if the 20, 20-ish cues thing is the format I'd want to talk to them in. And um, I'm almost more interested in like, who do you think would be fun hearing do this regardless of like, if they're popular or not or whatever, like just, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So here's a deep cut, a deep cut, deep cut. I'll give you two. I'll introduce you to both. All right. My sensei, like the person, if I have to talk to them, if I need someone older than me that's full of wisdom to talk to, is a man by the name of Todd Littleton. I personally would love you two to talk. Um, he, he, he's wonderful. He podcasts, and um, he's in my like five best friends dad chat and he's full of wisdom he's but he's not a baby boomer don't worry he's gen x um and i would love to hear you talk to him because he was he's a southern baptist minister that's been at the church so long they don't know they're not really that southern baptist anymore and uh, in like rural Oklahoma, uh, he's super smart and tons of fun. His he has like grown adult children who are wonderful. As a great granddad, he's full of wisdom. If I shit hits a fan in my life, he's the person I go talk to. And I didn't think about this when I told you you should ask this question. But like, if I if you were, if I was like picking for like who I really wanted to hear you talk to, I'd pick Todd Littleton. Now, if I was picking like like sheer entertainment value, one, I think if you if you asked him from the evangelicals to do it, and you sent him like a six pack of some high gravity sour beers, and he had to drink it while you were doing it, that'd be great because I've been drinking a lot while doing this and I feel like that'd be entertaining you know like that that would be fun because I know he resists drinking while podcasting it'd be good for him um I 
I think the uh I think answering I think Diana answering the questions would be quite fun and like I kind of want to try to guess her answers for quite a few of them and see if they're right and you know like we have a podcast we do together for our members so I feel like that qualifies her to be a participant but I'm sure I'd think of more, but the, honestly, like you talking to Todd Littleton, like he's my favorite person to get life advice from. So like, I would, I would love that. You sending sour beers to Tim and answering it. Hilarious. And I kind of want to know, I kind of want to know if, if I guess correctly on Diana. All right. Well, so here let's, uh, what if, what if I, so Todd sounds solid. So like do it, have. And y'all have never actually met because you, yeah. you only, like he came to most of the beer camps before the COVID. Um, but yeah, I, I'll make him do it just because I, because I want to listen to it. <laughs> well, so we'll, all right. So. Todd is. I'll Todd's be like, don't docket. worry, don't worry. None of your, none of your church members listen to Josh's podcast. You won't get fired. That's true. I and I can. I feel like I can guarantee that. Um. So Todd, <laughs> Diana would be a lot of fun, and I just, I would love to like talk to you after the episode comes out and see how you did. You know, guessing wise. When it comes to Tim, uh, I have sour beers that I still need to send to Tim. Um, so I'm going to do that. And oh, yeah, originally I was going to make Tim, uh, do because, like, he told me essentially he would do anything aside from like break his marriage vows, uh-huh. uh, to get the two new sours that we put out. Ooh. So I was like, all right, well, I want you to come do a uh, happy hours episode with Trip and I, um. But I could, you know, be a little shifty and uh, be like, well, 20-ish questions, Tim, plus sour beers. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I can always ask him questions while we're on there. That's like, true. I don't want to not, I, I don't want to. We can pay, make that, like, we can make it a Patreon thing where yeah, people have to, now, yeah. You're now like uh you're like, do you want to not hang out with him on the internet with Josh? Like, <laughs> whoa, 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 I'm an extrovert. <laughs> oh, no, no, we could we can hang out with him for the Patreon thing, and then I'll tell him that he's now volunteered for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, but Tim. I, while you're on here live with people listening to you, I just want you to know that I have volunteered you. <laughs> <laughs> to answer 20 more questions I'll talk to you tomorrow And you're going to do great You'll do great You'll have answers for most of them <laughs> So I, I I would be interested in his um, Because Anyway I don't want to I don't want to start psychoanalyzing people I find this to be entertaining Okay Like I think that Um you should send this to your to your peeps and then say 
what what question would you add right let let your patreon members be like okay here's here's some other questions if we could corner someone on this now now maybe you have like another another 10 or 20 questions you look at them then you then you tr- then you power rank them maybe you sub out maybe maybe your patreon people are like well, because see if they give it to you then it's not personal if you ask it right like if you ask it then everyone's like oh Josh, why did you ask me this? But then you're like, okay, here's one voted on by my donors. Now I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'll give you a solid answer on this one. If you would ask it personally, I'd be pissed. But since people that are supporting this podcast did, and then they're like, you know, insert awkward personal question, you know, like then I'm like, oh, I'm tempted to answer this. Like if you had to get loaded with one figure from church history and then get in a fight with another at the end of the night, who's it going to be? That's a solid question. Like I, I'm, I'm stealing that and adding it to my list. If you had to get loaded, see, and this, uh, so this is a proof of concept to your point that you just made. It works. It only makes things better. I know, but see, when people hear this, they'll be like, oh, okay, that's how this, con- this is how- what Tripp did when he was answering Josh's questions. What kind of questions should you throw in here? Like, uh, the, um, you, you could do one like, what was a, what's a movie or TV show or song that if you re-listen, re-watch or whatever, you will start crying. Like that's, that's a, a good one. That's a revealing, revealing one. And you're like, whoa. Because like there, I can think of different ones at different parts of my life. And they all like are connected. Oh, like when Elgin had all his ear infections when he was little, we watched cars all the time. And he would fall asleep on me, but. I couldn't get up from the chair. He'd wake up and start screaming again because of his ear infection. So I've watched the movie's cars on replay so many times that now anything that's cars related, I just start, I get emotional immediately because it's just like reminds me of Elgin with the ear ache going, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I love you. So Made her funny. You know, if a pastor ended a sermon with uh Kachow, Instead of oh, amen, like that drop would... the mic. Yeah. Ka-chow, drop the mic. Yeah. That's game. Yeah. <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I know. I know. Man. It, no, I'm just saying, I bet it'd be entertaining if you were, uh, if it, because some people may suggest things and then, then you're off the hook. Right. It's true. Or yeah, you could just pretend a, your members suggested something because you're like, this is a bit awkward or personal. And here we go. And then you're like, it's quite possible that one of my members asked this question. And then you're like, well, I donate in kind to the podcast because I haven't gotten paid for all the time. So it's an in kind donation. But I don't. I donate my real out. money. I donate my real money 
to rethinking faith and everyone else that is still listening should. Yeah, you do, which is a is a true fact about trip fooling. I yeah. think the fir- if if at some point ever in my life if I write a book, the first endorsement will just say like uh trip fuller donated money to rethinking faith and that'll be that. Yeah. And then yeah. people will be like, "Whoa, whoa, even, whoa." Even whoa, though whoa. for some reason the app on my phone won't even let me get to you. Yeah, maybe that's the device. I had to go to my to computer. I'm resisting I'm resisting the powers of Satan trying to keep me <laughs> from supporting this is, you. This is a power of Satan within your Apple phone. Yeah. Uh, shit. Yeah. Bite out of the Apple and shit. <laughs> well, oh man. Well, dude, like honestly, the idea was great. Thank you. I'm excited to see where it goes. Um and how these episodes unfold. But I think people are going to really like them because it uh, is going to be people that, you know, they're excited to hear from, but also it's a little bit different. It's tapping into people's stories and, and such, which again, I've talked about on the podcast before, but the thing that kind of really uh, shifted things for me in regards to like asking people more personal questions or like, taking interest mm-hmm. in them as a human being instead of like, I read your book, tell me all the stuff, uh, was interviewing N.T. Wright. And towards the end of the interview, um, I asked him a more, I don't remember what it was, I have to go back and listen to it, but I asked him like a more personal question and his entire physical demeanor shifted. Like mm-hmm. his body relaxed, like he his face got excited if that makes sense. Um, and like, he was just, he, it was visibly clear that he was thrilled to answer a question that wasn't just NT Wright. Tell me shit that NT yeah. Wright says. And it was like an actual, it took interest in him as a person, not just NT Wright as NT Wright. And it was really cool. So I think these, these episodes will be a lot of fun. Um, and I'm excited to see what happens, but so Thank you for the idea and also for doing the inaugural episode. Woohoo! Cool. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh that's fun. Yeah. Good deal, man. And, uh, All right. yeah, I'm gonna go we're going to, I'm going to go pee. I have to go yeah, pee very bad. That's a good thing. Uh, well, so you go do that and listeners, thank you so much for hanging out. Uh, stay tuned for more, uh, 20-ish questions episodes and as always uh, go in peace friends